0: Praise the Lord, everyone. It is so good to be with you again on service today. We want you to know that we are praying for each and every one of you here and that we miss you and we can't wait to worship with you again. But let's go to the word of the Lord, shall we? Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through verse 7. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, There is a woman who is a medium at indoor. Now let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5, where it reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Our title for this time, my friends, is Be Careful Who You Ask for Directions. Now, I've always thought that the story of King Saul is one of the more sad and tragic stories of the Bible. When we see him in our text, Saul is in his tent, this giant of a man, tall and handsome, the scriptures say. Now he's much older, pacing in his tent, Completely terrified, he calls an aide and he says, go find someone who speaks with the dead. Find me a medium. Now, not too long before that time, Saul had just issued an edict saying, anyone practicing fortune telling, reading tea leaves and crystal balls, anyone communing with the dead and all of that other craziness will be executed because it goes against Israel's faith in the one true God. And now in his darkest hour, he says, find me someone who is a medium. They said, well, there's one in Endor. So he puts on a disguise, a fake beard and and a wig and some old clothes, hoping that no one will know who he is, the king of Israel. He makes his way to the tent of the medium at Endor. Woman, he says, I want you to call up someone. She says, you know the law of the land. What is this? Some kind of setup? What's going on here? And he says, no harm will come to you. Call up someone. Well, who is it, she says? Samuel. She said, you're Saul. Woman, nothing will harm you. Call up Samuel, and she goes into her ritual. And in her ritual, she says, I see some kind of ghostly being coming up out of the ground. Well, what does it look like? It's an old man in a robe. He says, it's Samuel. Samuel says, why have you disturbed my sleep? Why? Help me, Saul says. Tell me what to do. Then Samuel says, it's too late. You'll be with me by this time tomorrow. Now at these words, King Saul crumbles on the floor of the witch's tent. Broken, crying, unable to move, unable to eat. How would you feel? Not too much time after that. Facing an inevitable defeat in battle and surrounded by the Philistines, King Saul committed suicide by falling on his sword. His life being characterized by his own words, I have played the fool and have erred greatly. Now the dictionary definition of the word inquire is to seek information by questioning. Now, going to a fortune teller was completely unbecoming of a king. It was unethical. In going to a fortune teller, he violated everything that he stood for, and it was against the law. Leviticus 19 and 31 commands give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, he's saying basically, why look to the stars when you could have a personal relationship with he who created them? Now, I can't make any excuses for King Saul, but something in me wants to feel sorry for him. Well, not feel sorry for him, but at least I wish to gain a deeper understanding about what happened there. You see, we never like to identify with the villains or the losers in the Bible, only the winners. But if we're not watchful and if we're not careful, any one of us could be just like Brother Saul. So I began to think about Brother Saul, how he went from being anointed king to this broken man that we see on the floor of a winch's tent, of a witch's tent in our texts. How did someone so close to God find himself in this situation? Then I remembered something. I remembered that Saul didn't ask to be king. Now, there are some people out there that would love to rule. They would love to be in charge. They see all the accolades and the respect that those in power have, and they wish that they could have that respect, that notoriety. It all looks so good from the outside. Well, people that want to be in charge too much make me nervous. It makes me think that they don't really know too much about leadership. But Saul was not one of these people. Saul never asked to be king. When we first met him, he was just a farmer. One morning after his father Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, said at breakfast, he says, Saul, some of our donkeys have broken out of the corral. I want you to pack a lunch, take one of the men, and see if you can get them. Go bring them on back. So this young man, close to 30 years old, used to the quiet predictability of life on the farm, packed a lunch, left with a servant, and went out looking for jackasses. After a couple days out searching, he met the prophet of God, Samuel, and they spent some time together. That evening, Samuel said, tell your servant to go down the road a bit, and Saul told him. And then Samuel said, kneel, and then Saul knelt before the man of God. The man of God took out the oil of anointing and poured it over the head of this young farmer, Saul. And said, God has chosen you to be the first king of Israel. I anoint you king of Israel. The oil went down his face and onto his beard. And the man that knelt down in the dirt as a farmer rose up from the dirt, a king. Now we had to go home with that awful burden, burdensome secret that he is going to be king he will rule, he will be responsible, he will be accountable. What does he do with it? Samuel says, oh, the time will come, it will be announced, it will be public, go home. And he has to go about his chores, chasing donkeys, emptying wastebaskets, Working in the fields, cleaning the stables, gathering manure so it can be used as fertilizer for the crops. All while he had been anointed king. Now this lets us know that even though you know that God has put something great inside of you, sometimes you still have to clean some stables and work in the fields. Never think that you're too big to clean stables and work in the fields. But Paul has to do all of these things while quietly, secretly carrying the burden of future greatness. That he was going to be king. He had to have been terrified. Well, when we see him here in our text, 40 years or so later, we have to wonder what happened to him. How did he get here? This man who should be on the throne A man who should be standing strong on the battlefield, unwavering before his troops, is lying in the dirt of a fortune teller's tent, crying and desperate, saying, Tell me what to do. What happened? Now, Bible scholars disagree. Some have said that he was predestined. Some have said that he was God forsaken. Some have said doomed. Others have said that Saul was a pawn of God, appointed by God to fail. God said to Israel, you want a king? All right, here's a king. Remember, you asked for it. Is this what you want? But I don't believe that God set Saul up to fail. God doesn't do that. I have to believe that God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us. Of peace, that we would have a future and a hope. Now, some have said that Saul soon became prideful and full of himself, started calling his own shots, started believing his own press. But for some reason, that seems a little bit too easy. It makes him seem a little too simplistic. You see, we're much more complex than that. I mean, we can be prideful. We can be full of ourselves, but we will never look at ourselves and say, I'm full of pride at the moment. That's why I'm acting this way. We're all too full of pride for that, aren't we? But like I said before, in some strange ways, sometimes I feel a little sorry for Brother Saul. Well, as we look closer at the actions of Saul, there is a repetition of a phrase that begins to haunt him and finally to destroy him. It is a phrase that at one time or another in all of our lives, we've fallen victim to and we've uttered. And that phrase is, I did what the people wanted. What we thought those around us thought we should do. The people wanted it, but what will people say? There was about to be a big battle with the Philistines And there was to be a great worship service and sacrifice because that's what God's people did before a battle. All the people of God were gathered and the prophet was late. Samuel was late. The people said, we're not going to wait around here much longer. So some of the people said, Saul, you're the king. Why don't you just preside at the altar as the priest? And he did. He's in the middle of giving his text for the sacrifice and the sacrificial sermon. And Samuel walks up. Saul, what are you doing? Well, Samuel, the the people said, go ahead, Saul. But Saul, you're not ordained of God. But but the people wanted me to. Samuel says, well, that's going to cost you. Another time before another important battle, Saul said, We must have the favor of God if we're to win. I declare among all of my troops that there will be a great fast. No soldier, no soldier shall eat until the battle. We must be in prayer and repentance before God. Now, it was a rash and an emotional proclamation because hungry soldiers are not always at their best. They need their strength. They need to eat. And then the word came that one of the soldiers had been eating. Bring him here, Saul commanded. And he sees that it's his own son, Jonathan. Now his son, Jonathan, hadn't heard the proclamation of his father, the king, because he was off on a special mission procuring some weapons and supplies for the battle some much needed weapons and supplies. So Jonathan said, yes, I've broken the law. I have broken the fast. I know the punishment. But the people said, oh, cut him some slack, King Saul. My goodness, it's just a little bread and some honey. What's the deal? And the people said, there it is right there. And the people said, so King Saul let it slide. Another example, after the defeat of the great army of the Amalekites, the word of God was clear. We do not go into war in order to collect spoils and take the property and possessions of our enemies. Therefore, to prevent that greed and selfishness, everything that you take is to be destroyed and Israel wins the battle. But when Samuel comes upon the victorious army with Saul out there partying, and he hears the bleeding of lambs and the mooing of cows, he says to Saul, well, what is this? The lowing of the herd and the bleeding of the sheep? And Saul said, well, the people. Look, you know the law. Everything was to be destroyed. Well, the the people said, Why don't we save some of it and have a big celebration and thank God for the victory and sacrifice some of the captured livestock to obey? To obey is better than sacrifice. But the people said, Saul seemed to have had this insatiable appetite for public approval. He was intoxicated by the applause and the approval of the people of those around him. He had to have it. And in my assessment, that's what brings him down. In 1 Samuel 15 and 24, he admits it. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, my friends, let's not forget that when this all started, he was nothing but a farm boy that started off looking for his father's jackasses. That's possibly what he secretly longed for in his heart, to be back on the farm where life was simple and predictable and where he was not accountable for so much. There wasn't so much pressure, so many people watching and second guessing his every move trying to take his measure. The pressures of life weigh equally heavy on all of us at all times. Take a little bit of time to really look at the faces of those who've served as president. The weight of that office, sitting in the chair of that Oval Office has a way of making those men look older. So many of us would love to rule, but we forget that heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's different when you know that you were trained and qualified to wear the crown. But what if one day you were just off working on a farm and you left the farm home and you left home one morning a farm hand and you came home anointed king. In 1 Samuel 9 and 21, he even tried to disqualify himself. At his own coronation, when they were looking for him to name him king formally, he was off hiding with the equipment. He probably lived with the constant fear that one day the whole kingdom was going to find out that he was a fake. It's why he needed their approval and their applause so much. Why else would he want to kill one of his most capable and faithful supporters over the lyrics of a song? One day after a great victory, when David, his servant, was returning to the kingdom, the women sang a song that said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his thousands tens of thousands, and when Saul heard it, he flew into a jealous rage. He was so insecure in my assessment that he could not stand for someone else to be praised or acknowledged. He felt he was the one that deserved all of the accolades and praise. He looked for approval and acknowledgement from others when he should have been seeking it From almighty God, the people wanted me to. Why could Saul not have been satisfied by just touching his beard and touching his head and remembering the feel of the oil of anointing of God's approval that day when he met Samuel? Why couldn't he just say it doesn't matter what people think? God knows I'm king. God made me king. As long as God is happy, that's all that matters. God's assessment is truly the only assessment that matters. But because he spent so much time listening for the approval of the people and those around him, he could no longer hear the voice of the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 10 verses 13 through 14, it says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. A tragic end for someone that was so chosen and so anointed and so close to God. Today, my friends, we seem to be sometimes inquiring in all the wrong places. I think that we can all agree that we are living in some very uncertain times. We're geared to worrying about the future. In these times of uncertainty, we have a tendency to inquire of whatever it is that seems to give off some kind of air of certainty, some kind of stability, some type of insight. That's why the psychic network was so popular and there are still so many psychic reader shops around. People wanna know what's going to happen. The stock broker bases their life's decisions on what the quotes say that day. Some of us look at the daytime talk shows and or read the horoscope hoping to gain some kind of insights into their situations. You see, you have to make sure you're asking and inquiring in the right place. You can't ask just anybody what you should do about life-altering decisions. You can't inquire of the TV to tell you what to do and how to act, what you should wear, what you should say. You can't ask social media, your friends on Facebook and Twitter about what you should do about your marriage, about life's big decisions. Now, they may be there to entertain you, but they can't give you guidance. Most of the time people give you advice based on their perspectives and experiences of whatever they might have been going through at the moment. In our limitations as humans, that's the only advice that we can give. That's the only time that we can give each other advice. That's why we are told in Proverbs to go higher, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now that brings us to Saul's successor, King David. In King David, we have an example of someone who did the exact opposite of Saul in his own life. It has always been said that David was a man after God's own heart. It was King David that was said to be the first of the great kings of Israel. Christ our Messiah came out of the house of David, son of David, seed of Abraham. Now, how does one become a man or woman after God's own heart? We know his resume. He started off as a shepherd boy, learning to play the harp, write poetry, and fight real good and use a sling, warrior, worshiper. And even though he made some very big mistakes, one in particular for which he paid dearly, he is still seen as a man after God's own heart. Some have said it was because he was so willing to admit when he had made a mistake and that he was so repentant or that he praised God passionately. He wasn't concerned with how he looked before the people when praising the Lord, especially when the Ark of the Covenant was returned to its rightful place. He danced himself right out of his kingly robes. But like Saul, there is a phrase that was used to describe more than a few instances in the word why David was so successful as king, and that phrase is, and David inquired of the Lord consistently inquiring of God instead of the people like Saul did made David a man after God's own heart in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path David was always inquiring of the Lord that's what made him a man after God's own heart In 1 Samuel 23 and 2, therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. In 1 Samuel 23 and 4, then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, and I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 8, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered and said to him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Again in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 19, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them to my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. 2 Samuel 5 and 23, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them from the front of the mulberry trees. Now, the fact that David went from being the most wanted man in Israel, public enemy number one, to being the king is a miracle in and of itself. But it happened because David was always inquiring of the Lord. Even when he was a wanted criminal being pursued all over the land, he seemed to have a habit of inquiring of and crying out to the Lord. You see, these cries soon turned into psalms about God's provision and protection. They turn into testimonies about what happens when you inquire of the Lord. They turn into Psalms 40, verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. When you inquire of the Lord, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, David inquired of the Lord. When you, being a son and daughter of God, inquire of the Lord about your life, he will let you know some things. Like David, you'll be able to say the God of my strength in whom I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My savior, you saved me from violence. I will call or inquire of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When you inquire of the Lord, he'll let you know that no weapon formed against you shall prosper and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of those who inquire of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. You'll be reminded that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. After inquiring of the Lord, he'll let you know that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and turn from the deadly pestilence. That's what you get when you live your life inquiring of the Lord. Don't waste your time asking around you, people around you, what you should do. Ask the one who truly has all the answers. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Oh, let's give the Lord some praise on today. Hallelujah. Go on and praise the Lord with me for a moment. It's all right. Hallelujah. Our God, our Father, our Creator is who we should be inquiring of. We might not have all of the answers, but we can ask who does have all of the answers. He is who we should be asking for directions. Some of us here have been looking in so many directions to find out what we should do about our lives. We've been inquiring of everything else and everyone else to find direction in our lives when we should be inquiring of the Lord about what we should do, who we should be. I believe that there is someone here that is ready to inquire of the Lord about what they should do with their life and their future. I believe that there is someone here that wants more for their life than what the world has been giving them. By giving your life to Christ, you are putting yourself in position to inquire of Almighty God of the universe what you should do and what you should be. Again, we may not know the answers of ourselves, but we can always ask who has all of the answers. Let's pray. Dear Precious Heavenly Father, I'm ready to give my life to you and inquire of you what I should do. I ask that you forgive me for all of my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have been. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have done. I'm asking Jesus Christ to come into my life right now. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die for my sins. I believe that he died on the cross, and I believe that he arose again on the third day, and I believe that all power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And I ask him to come into my heart now, and I will live the rest of my life inquiring of you what to do about my life. I thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And I thank you so much for the victory. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, beloved, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are now saved. You have an open line to call on the almighty God of the universe and inquire of him what you should do about your life. We pray that you would join a Bible-believing church in your area and we pray for the next time that we're able to join together in worship. God bless you and we love you.